Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Bingo! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Core 4 Podcast. I'm Xavier Dotson, and I'm here with my co-hosts, David Buckler and Matthew Gill. And this should be a fun, exciting episode because the Grizzlies went undefeated this week, this past week, and things are starting to gear up hot for the Grizzlies. Um, So we got a, a actually like a really fun episode ahead of us. Like I said, the Grizzlies seem like the struggles are, are, are fading away. Like, Matt, how excited are you feeling right now that the Grizzlies – are on a six-game winning streak right now as, as we speak. Yeah, six games in a row, and, you know, it's nine and one over the last ten. Uh, I want to kind of save some of my stuff for the rest of the show for sure, but, like, I think the vibes are high right now. I, I think everybody should be feeling pretty good, especially with everything that went on um, with the jaw situation, the injuries that have happened. And, you know, you go back to, like, January when they seemed to be really struggling when they still had everybody, like, it seems that they've come out on the other side of a lot of, you know, up and down moments where we weren't really sure what this team was made of and like where they would end up in the playoff race. And now we're kind of on the other side of that. And I think everybody should be feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, Matt, Matt I know you said the vibes are high. So that means Dave, we shouldn't see any salty Dave anytime soon. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was thinking about that, David. No salty Dave today. In fact, uh, I was going through my desk and cleaning out some of my papers. I had some of my notes from previous shows over the past month or so, and I was just kind of flipping through them. And it, well, there's a lot of negativity on there. It's been a been a rough month, and now there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel, as we've talked about here. Very exciting, a very exciting week of games that we just saw with with four wins since our last taping. But yeah, nope, free and clear today, Xavier. All those yeah. notes. All those notes were probably written in blood for a couple. Yeah, I, I guess you could say it's finally spring, so some spring cleaning. Great vibes. It's sunny now. But I know you were saying earlier, Matt, that the pollen around is kicking a lot of people tail. <laughs> bro, bro, I'm getting so crushed right now with allergies. You guys can probably hear my voice a little bit. I'm going to try and mute myself if I have to blow my nose to anything. So sorry to any any of the listeners that are super grossed out by it. And I get crushed every time, every, every year around this time of year. But it's all worth it because it means that March Madness, you know, the Final Four is, is, is running. The Masters is right around the corner. And then right after that, it's NBA playoff time. And I can't wait for this postseason. I can't wait to see some of the matchups, see what these Grizzlies can do, see who they're even going to be playing. We still don't know yet. So, like, it's a really exciting time. And uh, I'll pay the I'll pay the price for you know taking a little allergy medicine this time of year to get all that back. Yeah, mo- most definitely. I know you talk about the matchups and playoffs. We'll talk more into that later on. But heading to our first segment, we're gonna do a little X's and O's action, and we're gonna talk about how the the, the Grizzly struggles as a as a late. They're basically fading away as we know it from earlier this season. I know we talked about their concerns of shooting threes, blowing quarters, the full quarter woes, and moving a rock. But now things are looking very, very hopeful now. Dave, what do you think that has changed? As Taylor Jenkins came up with a new strategy to, to, to maximize the Grizzlies' potential, or is it finally that everything is clicking for the Grizzlies? 
I think it's a little bit of everything. I don't think it's a simple answer, but I, I had a, some notes here, Xavier, exactly what you were talking about there. The flow and offense looks a lot better. I think we're starting games better. The free throw shooting's been better. The team rebounding seems to be at least adequate. Uh, and, and I think what's happened with the unfortunate injury to Steven Adams and the unfortunate injury to Brandon Clark, I think we've had some like roster and of substitution consistency over the past couple months is kind of settling in. Unfortunately, I missed those guys, but it's given Tillman some real nice minutes in the middle. Roddy's seeing some pretty consistent minutes off the bench. And, 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 you know, with John missing a few weeks there, Jaron Jackson's improved aggression on the offensive end really, I think brought it all together. So now John coming back is, is, is wonderful. And I just think, uh, it's the unfortunate injuries that we had that sort of trimmed the roster a little bit. It was giving guys more regular minutes. Is that fair? Yeah, most definitely. I know you talked about Jaron being basically that number one guy as job being. Now, we saw a, a, a number one option, Jaron, which we haven't seen since basically his rookie season. And a lot of people forget that he was sort of going to be that guy that the Grizzlies were going to build around before job came and he's showing those offensive glimpses. So Matt, I, that asks me. That brings me to the, the question: Do you think the Grizzlies should focus on continuing feeding Jaron going forward, even though Ja is acclimating himself back into the starting lineup and to the routine of things? I hope so. Like I think that Jaron, you know, on a worse team, like you said, Xavier, like when he came in, the plan was Jaron was your one, right? And like we got to see it for a couple of games there, like what an offense can look like when it's built around Jaron Jackson Jr. And when he's empowered to like take more shots and, 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 you know, control the basketball a little bit and have things work through him. And the, the results were outstanding, honestly. And I think that when you get into a playoff series, he's a guy that maybe can be a little bit more reliable than even a Desmond Bain. And, you know, Jaws always going to be your number one, but like, I want to see that same level of aggression from Jaron into the postseason as well you know you go into uh you know the game against atlanta uh you know the the shots the shot numbers come down a little bit but i want to see him continue to keep being aggressive it's not even necessarily about the quantity of shots it's about the aggressiveness that he shows when he is you know trying to get to the basket and score on on guys when he has a favorable matchup and you know they're using him a lot more in the screen game without uh steven adams there and Without Clark, obviously, like he's in a lot more ball screen actions. And I think that when you have a guy like him who is incredibly skilled and incredibly big and long and athletic, like him in a pick and roll with John Moran is something that you can go to and be, you know, pretty consistent and know what you're going to get, you know, from at least a shot quality standpoint, especially when you get into a playoff series and you have to kind of, you know, run your best stuff over and over and over again and make them stop you. So it's, it's been really good. As Dave said, like it sucks that some of these guys have been injured, but it's been really good to see that some of these other guys have been able to step up and have really, really uh, done great in their roles as, as they've expanded. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. And, and, and you look at Xavier Tillman and he comes to the arena every night for months. and doesn't know if he's going to play. He doesn't know how many minutes he's going to play. He's going to get on the court. And now he has, you know, a pretty good sense of his role in this team now. And, you know, if you're an athlete, that goes a long way. And, and I think he's been a real revelation this past month. He's just been fantastic filling in and, and giving some real good rebounding, some real toughness inside. I want to say one other thing about Jaron Jackson in, in, in his offensive game that we talk about that nuance that we would like to see him develop. And you think about what's going to happen in the playoffs. 
I mean, he goes left a lot. <laughs> I mean, gets the ball in that low block, and he really likes to go left. You know, the, the more he can come up with a drop step right, you know, a little jump hook, something for teams that are going to see him a lot during the playoffs, games back to back to back, he's going to have to show, a, I think, a little bit of extra nuance in his offense to really keep these numbers up. You know, again, in the playoffs, when teams are really scouting them. Yeah, I, 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 I want to give praise to Taylor Jenkins of drawing up his half-court sets as a late. I don't know if you guys have been watching. I've been posting on the X's and O's on Twitter and on the other socials of how he's been executing the offensive game, finding Luke Kennard for those threes, that amazing 10-3 game that Luke Kennard had the other night, or in setting up Jaron for the paint post, for uh, possessions in the paint, and letting them go to work, you know, it was looking very grim for the Grizzlies going to four quarters in the past. Like, we knew what – it was very predictable. Give Jaw the ball, wait probably 10 seconds – till 10, 10 to 8 seconds left into the shot clock and try to make him force something. And it, it was not working. But now it's like, okay, when the fourth quarter comes, they're moving a the rock around. They're saying like, hey, we got downhill Des. Des McBain closed the, the game last night. I mean, he did a marvelous job, and I, I feel comfortable now going towards the playoffs, knowing that we can be able and, and capable of closing those four quarters, and even as well coming back from double-digit deficits. That San Antonio game, man, that was a remarkable game for, for us to, to come back, and as well as the Dallas Mavericks game. So they're they're battling adversity. I'm, I'm proud of this team. Like you said, it's been light at the end of this tunnel, and it's looking like that we can get the second seed and, and make a big push this playoffs. You know, Xavier, uh, we talked last week on the show about the trade deadline and revisiting some of those moves across the league. And, and boy, you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find a move better than Luke Kennard. Yeah. You know, I know he's shooting 55.6% on threes over the last 10 games. It's skewed a little bit, of course, by the 10-for-11 performance that we just saw. But regardless, he's been a really, really nice piece to this team. And when Tyus Jones is shooting better from a three-point line, boy, we got something now, right? Now the offense, you know, is really flowing better, opening those things up for Jaron inside. And if this continues and John integrates back in the way he is, they could be really, really tough to stop in the playoffs. Yeah, most definitely. You, you have two of the top 10 best shooters around John Morant. You really cannot sag off of them. I mean, Taylor Jenkins can really get crafty. You could put Santi out there that's capable of shooting the threes with Jaron and then Luke Kennard and Desmond Bain. You cannot sag. You can. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had got a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> when you have two of the top 10 shooters in the league, uh, in, in the middle, in the game with John Morant, you cannot sag off those guys. So you really have to pick your poison there. And so I'm, I'm really happy to see what, what the Grizzlies can shake up during this playoffs, upcoming playoffs. Yeah, before we move on, I, I just want to point out one thing. And, like, I, as I said in the open, like, everybody should be happy that the Grizzlies are where they are right now after everything they've been through. But I think that in our immediate circle, like, where we see people on Twitter the, who are massive Grizzlies fans, I think it needs to be put into perspective, like, what this winning streak is. It's not been – the elite, elite teams in this league. It's a, it's two wins against the Warriors, who we're seeing right now may not be as good of a team as we gave them credit for all season long. It's three wins against Dallas, 
maybe the worst team in basketball over the last two weeks. Like, man, they've imploded. Two games against the Rockets, um, you know, that Hawks team in there. And then the Spurs overtime win, like, yeah, it's a great comeback and everything, but they should have never been in that position in the first place to have to make that comeback. So I think rightfully so, everybody should be happy that the team is winning at all, regardless of who they're playing against with everything that they've been through. But let's not you know, blow things out of proportion and think that they're the number one team in the league now because they've gone on this winning streak. When I think we'll look back, you know, maybe even if they struggle in the first round of the playoffs and we'll say, oh, maybe we overestimated how good that winning streak was. If Dallas is, you know, out of the playoffs and, and Golden State loses in the play and then we're then we look back at that streak and it's like there was one playoff team in there and, and you know, it really didn't mean that much. So as much as it is a good winning streak and, the, and they bounced back and showed a lot of strength and, you know, team chemistry to come out of all that stuff. It's a lot of bad teams in there, Dave. And you know that like this time of year, man, you've talked about it. Like there's just some bad teams that aren't interested in winning. And I don't know that you necessarily should be getting blue ribbons for beating up on those teams. No, no, I think that's fair. But then Dallas just lost two games back to back to the Charlotte Hornets. There, I got my Hornets reference in. Uh, I got to do the Hornets every broadcast, but they did. They, you know, I mean, the Mavericks look terrible, but you know they, they took those two games for granted. So, yeah. so yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And and the one thing I will say though about the level of competition is it did kind of allow Memphis to integrate John Morant back in against you know against the Rockets this past week, you know, and stuff. So, um, I I know what your your point is. It's it's a good point, but I would still you know we still got to win these games. And it's not Memphis's fault these teams are trash. So they're going out there. I actually was most impressed by the second Rockets game. Yeah. Not just Kennard, but to come out there and just put your foot on Houston and stomp them when you never know. They could have come out super flat in that game uh, after just beating Houston two days before that. So to your point, and, and we have a relatively soft schedule, I think the last eight games as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree. Sorry, Xavier, not to cut you off, but it, it makes me really interested in that Clippers uh, you know, two games in three days that's coming up this week as well. If you think back, that was that Clippers game was the first game after the jaw, you know, after jaw left the team was when they had that 50 point quarter and then blew that fourth quarter lead. If you guys remember that game and like, I'm interested to see what that is. That's the best competition they've seen in, in a while. Although Clippers probably aren't going to have, you know, some of their dudes, obviously Paul George is banged up. So like, who knows, but it makes me interested to see how they respond, especially when the, the first game is the second night of a back-to-back playing Orlando on that um, on that Tuesday game as well. So it'll be interesting, but yeah, as you said, uh, soft schedule to finish up, but if they keep winning and, and pounding teams like they did in that second Houston team, like that's a good, that's a good indication as well that they're still locked in. Okay, heading off to our next segment, we're going to talk about who Taylor Jenkins, who, I mean, who do we all trust heading to the playoffs? Which players do we trust heading towards the playoffs? All right, the playoffs are listening two weeks away. Taylor Jenkins has had all season to figure out which players that he can count on on the court. With with the players come with players coming in and outside the in and out the lineups this year, and we seeing different types of ad- adversity. There's been different players that we've seen on the court for the Memphis Grizzlies, Matt. Are there any players that you just flat out do not trust for this upcoming playoffs? Yeah, I kind of threw the injury part of it out right now for this exercise. And I, I really just wanted to focus on like thinking about coming into this season, who did, who would I have put on this list and where are we at right now? Like, I think we all would have, you know, the normal starting five if everybody was healthy. 
Adams, Triple J, uh, Dylan Brooks, Bain, and Ja. And then off your bench, I would assume that you guys would have Tyus and Luke are absolute locks, right? But coming into the season, I wouldn't have said for certain that Santi was on that list. He's on my list now. I trust him. He's been a super solid player. Davier Tillman is a guy who I definitely wouldn't have had on this list. No chance I'd be letting him see the court. I wouldn't even let him be in the top 10. We've also talked about philosophically, like, how many guys do you really want your playoff rotation? I'm a guy who likes, like, eight dudes, nine at the max. Um, but for this list, as I was writing it out, like, I, I have nine guys. And Xavier, Xavier Tillman's on that list. And my last guy is Roddy. Roddy's shown that he is a really, really – uh, you know, he he is he is great in his role and he has gained confidence every time that he has seen more minutes, as Dave pointed out, which is a huge thing for these rookies getting to have the ball in their hands, getting to play more and getting and being trusted more by the coaching staff is a huge thing for these guys to have confidence. So that's mine as the top five guys. And then those four coming off the bench and the biggest again, thinking back to like where we were at coming into the playoffs, I excuse me, coming into the regular season and where we're at now, man, like. It's tough, but I don't think you can put Zaire Williams out there right now. I, I think that he's a liability. He's obviously injured right now and maybe, is, you know, is not going to even be available for the playoffs. But, like, that's a guy – I would have John Conchar over him, honestly, who Conchar wasn't on my list, He wasn't, but he would be on my list higher than Zaire Williams if I had to expand it out. So that's kind of where I'm at, and I'm, I'm in, it's, it's very interesting to look and see which guys have, like, moved in up and down that list throughout this season. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate for Zaire because he had a great playoffs run last year, especially yeah. at Warrior Series. But I'm surprised you didn't put John Conchart on the list. If you go on Twitter, there's a big, big John Conchart following, think, saying that like the stats saying that he deserves to be on the court. Dave, are you trusting Jitty to be out there on the court uh, doing crunch time during the playoffs? Well, this gets back into how many players do you ideally want to play in a playoff series? I like the number eight. I can stretch it to nine. If you go to 10 and 11, I think something went sort of wrong. Although I will say that given Jaron's propensity to foul once in a while, and sometimes Dylan Brooks goes off the rails and these kind of things, you know, our starting five, I don't think we play to the other team's style you know we can sort of dictate our style our pace with our guys which i really like about the team but if if if, if jaron again and, and dylan something goes wrong we do have some good depth if we had to play conchar to answer your question a few minutes i think it'd be okay xavier he was not on my list of nine though and it, it is really fascinating especially because i liked him a lot more coming into the season the same with zaire williams I would have thought those were like two of our, you know, top eight guys along with Tyus and maybe Brandon Clark would have been the nine that I would have started with in the season. But given the injuries and the performances over the past month or two, I think, I mean, obviously Jones and Kennard have to play. I think Santi's really proven himself that he deserves minutes a little bit better at home. That's fine. And I guess if Adams is healthy, Xavier's going to get squeezed out. And, and probably go back to spot duty on the bench, which is a shame. And, and, and we'll see how much Roddy plays as well. But the real shame of this discussion is that Zaire Williams in year two has kind of become like the forgotten man. You heard his name a lot, like we're never trading him. That was a big thing like, in trade conversations. Oh, boy, what a shame that he's not able to contribute because if we could have him finishing on the wings right now, I think just unlocks even more potential in the fast break and then see that growth. It's a sad thing. Yeah, I mean, he really just never 
was comfortable and found his groove this season from injuries to, you know, confidence being basically shot to the curb. Uh, I mean, Zaire, he's just had a rough patch in this year, sophomore slump most definitely. Um, I'm really wishing that he bounced back this upcoming year. I know they sent him to the G League. I watched him in the G League. He, he's, he kills in the G League, but, I mean, it is the G League. But, I mean, the, soft, the sophomore slump has really hit him. But, I mean, look, look at it. Other people have been able to take opportunities for it, like David Roddy. I mean, he comes in hot and ready every single game, no matter what the coach asks him to do. He's ready to play ball. And so he's made his cut with me, at least with the playoff rotation, if push comes to shove. I'm interested to hear, though, a lot of people feel that – I know I was uh, watching Jay Williams, his podcast. He was talking about how the Grizzlies are – we run two bigs. I feel – for one, he really does not watch the Grizzlies. He, don't, <laughs> he just understands that we run Stephen Adams. But we have a lot of depth and versatility for, for our roster. If we match up – like, hypothetically, we match up in the first round against – the, the Timberwolves, and if the playoffs were to start today, we would be matching against the Timberwolves. They run two bigs. We are sort of thin on actual big bigs because guess what? Kenny Lofton Jr. cannot play in the playoffs, and he's sort of been playing some good ball these last month with the Grizzlies. Um, like, who are you pulling out to 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 be like an extra big body for us? If especially if Adams isn't ready. Yeah, and, like, Tillman's not even – it's not like Tillman's, like, a seven-footer. Like, I don't want him, like, playing 20 minutes on Gobert and, you know, whatever. Like, Tillman's good in his role as well. But, yeah, like, there's definitely a size problem, especially when I look at my list. Like, Santi and, and, and Xavier Tillman are really your only big guys. Like, Roddy kind of makes up for it because he does play with a lot of strength uh, and athleticism as well. But, like, yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge loss for them. And that's where the Brandon Clark injury comes in and, and bangs are so bad is just not having that, that one extra dude who can kind of get in there and mix it up and give you good rebounding numbers. Like while you're, while you're, um, you know, while your main two bigs aren't out there, but like, that's kind of what they're down to, man. It's the, it's the next man up thing that they always talk about. So somebody's got to step up and do it. Yeah. It's interesting though, because I don't know. I, I feel comfortable of us playing against Minnesota in the playoffs, but at the same time, it is a little bit worrisome that we're going to be down bigs if if Adams isn't ready. And I mean, you know, Jaron last year he had a history of being out doing foul calls in that series a lot. That could be pretty worrisome. And you got Cal Anderson over there. I'm sort of afraid of Cal Anderson because he knows everybody's move. <laughs> If you've been watching him with Minnesota this year, he's been killing. And defensively, he knows literally everybody's move. He's an underrated defender. Dave, is there any worries for you about, like, the Delph hitting going towards the playoffs, though? Well, you make a good point about Minnesota. And Carl Anthony Towns just came back, looked pretty good in his first game. People kind of make fun of him sometimes because his basketball IQ every now and again is sort of questionable. But there were moments, I thought, in that first-round series last year that he was causing problems for us. And, and he, he's a quality guy. So you're absolutely right because it, it, we're, we're talking about the bigs and not really including Jaron because we don't really want Jaron playing too much at the five. And, and I think that limits other things that he can do. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned, sure. I'm concerned that Steven Adams had like a knee sprain in January and we're still not sure if, if Steven Adams is going to be ready for the playoffs. I mean, I – 
I feel like that injury was either underreported or, or there was a real setback somewhere in that recovery. I'm, I'm really surprised, Xavier, that he's not like locked in to five on five activity right now and going to be definitely back for the playoffs. Yeah, I, I really expected Stephen Adams to be back by now. And then I really wish that we can get an update soon because, you know, the playoffs start, like I said, in two weeks. Can they at least like ramp up, play the last four games or or get any type of estimate date when he's going to come back. I know they said he and he had a treatment of stem cells and they was going to reevaluate. Keyword reevaluation in four weeks. So that doesn't mean that he's coming back when that deadline, when that four weeks is up. And like a lot of people have doubts, you know, the big bigger uh, ESPN guys and whatnot, they feel like Stephen Adams is the key to us to make a, a deep run. Now, I know Steven Adams brings a lot of value for this team. But I don't feel like that he's like the big key, but he will help a lot, especially if we match up against Minnesota that first round. But um, I, I really do want to update. But it's, it's interesting, though, because I do feel like we have a, a great bench. But at the same time, it's a lot of guys that have not proven themselves. This isn't the same bench that we've seen last year. And as well, like last year, our bench wasn't necessarily just bonafide great. De'Anthony Melton was not a great bench player. The only person you had really sort of to step up off the bench was Clark. And that's what gave him his contract. And then, you know, Cal Anderson, those were the two guys. And, you know, you could throw ties in there. But um, hopefully Luke Nard, man, if he makes some threes, them big threes during big moments, he really can make himself another payday off that. Like, I, I'm, I'm high on Kennard heading to, to this playoffs. Luke, adding that guy was so awesome. Like, just having the confidence that, like, we have such two of the best shooters in the entire league now is just so comforting after complaining about it the entire season until we got him. But uh, to go back to the Adams thing, like, yeah, the, the longer it goes on and the, and the more hush-hush it feels that they're keeping everything, the more I lean towards they're not going to have him. And the interesting thing is, remember back to last year when they did play the Timberwolves, like Adams was unplayable. And now we're saying that they absolutely have to have him on the floor. And obviously, you know, the Timberwolves adding Gobert plays a role in that. But now it's funny looking back on it because like coming out of that Minnesota series, like people weren't so sure how long Steven Adams was for Memphis after that after getting just completely played off the floor. And now we're saying how, you know, how important he is. And we saw that because that was really when their struggles started is when Adams went out. Like, it's been proven that he is a very important part of this team. Yeah, I just well, I just like having all of our all of our bullets in the chamber, right? I mean, it's like, it's just, it would be nice in certain series if he was healthy enough to play because he really may help us in certain matchups. Um, it's interesting with Adams too, because didn't you guys feel like Stephen Adams was like you could never hurt him? I mean, yeah. it just was like he's built out of like stone, you know. He's like this big giant guy that's just they always say he's the strongest guy in the league. And Adam was kind of a weird play he got hurt on, and it's like a knee sprain, and like that's the injury that may end his season. It just that that just sounds kind of odd to me. But I you know yeah. I certainly wish that he gets better soon because there might be, especially Xavier makes a great point there. The Minnesota series is the one there's other series that, that he may not really be that necessary against. Cause we're just going to run up and down the floor in some of these teams. I know everything slows down the playoffs, but like, for example, Oklahoma city, if they would get in and have, you know, the seven seed, I'm not worried about not having Steven Adams in that series. Oklahoma city is a pretty small, thin team. If you look at them at the roster. So it's going to be really interesting how the, the, the play in 
might just be fascinating, right? On the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference, the play-ins are going to be really fun. Yeah, most definitely. The entire playoffs is going to be so sick this year. It's 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 so open. Like, it's, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, and I, w- I had one other point to that. I didn't realize this, Matt. We talked about uh, last week the, the matchups, one versus eight, et cetera. We went through and, and looked. And I, I read this week, I didn't realize that Miami or Atlanta have to be the sixth seed in the East yeah, because, because they're a division winner, right? right. And we Because we were talking about the Brooklyn six or Miami six. Miami will get that as long as they finish above Atlanta, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't even notice that. I need to peek yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, like, again, that Heat team is hard. It's hard to put your finger on because, like, I keep expecting them to go on a run and, and be great. And I think that I still believe in, the, in them if they get into the playoffs and stuff. But, like, time and time again, they seem to not prove it. Um, so, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I'm yeah. so excited for these playoffs. But if you're Philly sitting at three, you would certainly rather play the Nets. Oh, I yeah. Think. Right, but oh, yeah. now Miami's going to go into that sixth spot because as a division winner, that's a real, that's a real tough series. Okay, heading to our third segment, we're going to do a little of the college football playoff rankings. Um, Matt, do you have the uh, the the former rankings? I I, I actually do not. I don't have okay. my note. I don't have my notebook with me. I'm just work. I'm just working off my phone notes today. Um. So next time, and I just deleted my phone notes somehow. Uh, never mind, I got them back. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, I don't have the rankings with me. But but next time we do it, like right, let's say right before the playoffs, we'll do it again, and I'll have all the stat. I'll have all the stats for us. Yeah, this 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 should be interesting now because you know tables have turned. I mean, teams look really look like who's like deep contender t- contender t- t- contenders this year. So. I'll let you go first, Dave. Who do you have as your top four for your college football playoffs rankings? So I th- I think the Milwaukee Bucks are the best team in basketball. Seven and three in their last 10 games. I still really like that team. Some fun games with them lately, too, like against Denver and some other high high level competition. So I have Milwaukee won, and I still I think Giannis is the MVP of the league, by the way. I don't I think he gets overlooked. I know he hasn't had really like a signature moment or so this year. It's been just kind of consistent all the way through, but Milwaukee, number one. I do have Boston, number two. I talked about them last week. I think they're going to be the two seed in the East. Their schedule, a little soft down the stretch. Uh, you know, it's a long season. A little, little peaks and valleys for the Celtics. I, I like that team. They've won three in a row. I have them second best in the NBA. And I do have Denver third. A little bit of an up and down month for them. But they, they're going to be fine. Uh, I really like their home court advantage. And, and Joker's fantastic. So I think they're going to settle in at the one seed in the West and be really, really tough to beat in the playoffs. And because I'm in a good mood this week, I'm going to put the Memphis Grizzlies fourth. Haven't played the best teams. We talked about that, but they have looked good the past week or two. And nine and one in their last 10. When this team is humming, Joff integrating back has been so nice to see. The shooting has been, you know, as we talked in the next note segment, really, really helpful to getting this team back in a group. So I have Milwaukee, Boston, Denver, and Memphis four, and uh, feeling pretty good about it. I like it. I like the list. All right, Matt, I'm swinging it to you. Who do you have for your rankings? Uh, yeah, all right. So I agree with Dave fully that uh, Milwaukee – sorry, I'm putting Dave's list in so I can do the math for us and get the, the rankings there at the end. But, yeah, I'm with you. Milwaukee is the number one team. I think we'll all have them there. Um, but I have Denver and Boston switched from – 
Dave's list. Obviously, I like Denver a lot more than than Dave does. <laughs> We've covered that yeah. on the show. Uh, they did have a little bit of a rocky month, but they've kind of gotten back on track. And if we're sticking with the with the the bit with the segment of the college football playoff rankings, if you beat the number one team, which they just did, then you move up. And I think that you need to be right there in the rankings. If that's your argument, maybe you could say they even should be number one. I wouldn't go that far. I still think Milwaukee is the best team. So I have Denver uh, number two there and then Boston three. Um, yes, they've been better. They've had the, the three three game winning streak, but they've had a shaky month themselves. They really need to figure out their, you know, their kind of closing group and like what they want to do with those guys. And, and, and they have and they similar to the Grizzlies having the same problem uh, earlier in the season. They've they've had a little bit of a problem putting teams away late and closing out fourth quarter leads. So I have them at three and then I have Memphis at four as well, Dave. And the reason why is if, if you wanted to put Philly in that four spot and you told me I was dead wrong, like I would, I would listen to that. But the, the fact of the matter is like Philly and Boston, they're going to have to play each other in the second round. And I don't tr- So I, I think you have to have one of the two in your rankings, but I, I still trust Boston more. I, I don't trust the Philly thing Embiid injuries, uh, Harden playoff meltdowns, Doc Rivers playoff meltdowns. I still can't get, get there, there with this. So you have to have one of either Philly or Boston in your rankings. I, I just prefer Boston. I don't trust Philly in a playoff series still. And it's chalk. I mean, you know, me and Dave have the same teams, and it's it's both one seeds and both two seeds. And, you know, that that that's not, you know, super exciting by any means. But, like, I, I think as we talked about, like, nationally people got off the Grizzlies for a little bit. And I think that they should have more respect. And I think that they are closer in the playoff contention and championship contention than what people um, had been saying at for them after a while, after the John Moran stuff, after a couple of losing games, whatever, whatever. So I, I think they deserve to be in the top four. So it's, it's Milwaukee, Denver, Boston, and Memphis for me. Nice. This is Will. Um, I think, yeah. For me, we all agree. Milwaukee is number one. They're the best team in the league, of course. Giannis is playing great. Brooke Lopez, he's uh, battling Jaron Jackson for Depoy, but that's a different discussion. Okay. <laughs> number two, I do have Boston. Um, they have had some rocky stop uh, moments. And then as well, like it's there's always some controversy there in Boston. Now, you know, look at the Jalen Brown uh incidents that's going around he basically is stating that like he does not see himself there in boston uh for the future so there's always something going on in boston but i mean come down come down to playoffs and playing ball like at the end of the day they play some great basketball especially Jalen brown as of late he has been playing like he can be a number one option um number three yeah i have denver um they've been a little rocky but I'm starting to have a little bit more worries about them, though. I'm sort of, as much as Jokic has been great, as much as, you know, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., you got Michael Porter Jr. that does not miss a shot. <laughs> I sort of feel like if they match up against, like, the Lakers in the first round, they could give them a run for their money. That's, Don't that's, say it. Don't say it, Xavier. You don't mean that. That's that, 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 that sort of, I, I, I do sort of feel like it. I, I do feel like it, but at the same time, though, Denver has been great all year. They show stability. Um, I still personally feel like like that Jokic should still be MVP, though. But, you know, that's a whole different story. And then number four, I do have Memphis. I find it like it's a big thing 
to finally go into the playoffs on a on a hot streak because that just really improves your players' confidence because they know, okay, we just closed the season on a great streak, a good winning winning environment. That's going to bring even more energy for them to go to the playoffs. We've locked in for home court, home court advantage for the first round. So I'm I'm really proud by Grizzly, of our Grizzlies. They battle adversity. Uh, like they're implementing new strategies. Luke Kennard is, man, I'm, I'm so happy about the Nardo bombs. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy to see that Memphis has made our way, made their way back up in our college football playoffs because they have been, <laughs> they haven't been there for a minute. If you really, if we go back and look at it. So yeah, for me, I got, yeah, uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Denver, and then Memphis. You know, yeah, I had a number nine at one point in the list. But but I, I wanted to go back to Denver for a second because we have disagreed over the course of the season a little bit on how good the Nuggets are. I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that they gave up on Bones Highland too soon? For a kid who's got like a little juice off the bench, I know there was a, some locker room stuff there. But, you know, he still was a, a viable scorer in spurts. And I, I, I don't know, I, I thought they gave up on a pretty exciting young kid. Obviously, there was something – it was some tension between him and Jamal Murray. Okay. And at the same time, I don't know, like, the his whole potential. I know he is a great, valuable scorer off the bench, but I don't see him as, like, a starting point guard star type player. And it's interesting that we say this now, like, did they give up with him early? I've been looking at rumors. A lot of people feel like Dame has played his last game there in, in, in Portland. And if Denver gets fleeced. If they don't make the Western Conference Finals, I feel like that's a team that I feel like they should pursue after Damian Lillard. Wow. And they could have kept Bones Highland to, to add, a, you know, a trade package for, for Damian Lillard. But um, I feel like Bones Highland, though, he is sort of like, I'm not going to say he's a loose cannon, but he's a microwave of a player. He sort of reminds me of J.R. Smith with his shot selections at times. <laughs> He's an irrational confidence guy for sure, but I don't know that they like they had to get rid of him. Like he clearly did not want to be there anymore. I think there was not only a problem with maybe some of his teammates, but also him and Michael Malone clearly did not agree about like what his role should be. He did not want to be there anymore. From so from that perspective, like you have to get rid of him. But that kid was still like they still didn't get enough for him. Like they got fleeced in the deal. They didn't get enough, but they had to get rid of him at the same time. And, and maybe that kind of does hurt his value because teams know that you yeah. absolutely have to get rid of him, And that's why they couldn't get as much on the trade market for him. But like, yeah, that's a guy who like, I would rather have him over Reggie Jackson for sure. And that's kind of like who they brought in to replace him with. And you know, wh wh who knows, like the, the story's not written on bones Highland. I don't see him as being like an all NBA all-star type of guy, but like, yeah, he's a, he, he could, he had an opportunity to be, similar to Tyus in that like he could come off your bench and give you 10 to 15 points and, and kind of run your second unit for you and step into a starting role when necessary. But like he just, his time in Denver was up. There was nothing they could yeah. do about it. I like volume scores though, guys. And you know, uh, even like J I love Jaden Hardy in Dallas uh, for a kid who can come off the bench. And I like that kind of player. Yeah, Jaden Hardy is a bucket getter, a young bucket getter. That's one of my favorite players to watch. Okay, closing out to our last segment, we're going to do a little trophy case award segment. And 
feel like this will be very interesting because, I mean, like the Grizzlies are playing some great basketball. We're heading towards the end of the season. All right. Dave, who you got? Who you broadcasting today for your trophy gate, trophy case awards? So I like to have a little fun with this category sometimes, but for this show, guys, I I wanted to uh, to be very serious for a minute. I I'm going to give the defensive player of the year to Jaron Jackson Jr. And it is interesting that Brooke Lopez gets all this love, and we talked about this on the show. He's really the third best defender on his own team. So <laughs> when you look at when you look at Holiday and 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 Giannis and I think what we've seen lately, the, the confidence that Jaron's playing with, some of the highlights, it's almost like you jump off the couch every game with some of the blocks. They're just breathtaking. And the way he's playing defensively is such a high level, up to 7.1 rebounds over the last 10 games. We've talked a little bit about you still got to rebound the basketball. And I think I think he's earned it at this point. It's, it's been an interesting race through the season. Some other guys have had good defensive years. Yeah, I just think – the, the way the Grizzlies defense as a collective has gotten better over the course of the year and some of those special moments, which should matter to, to the fans watching and to the voters, he's been, he's been outstanding. I'm going to give him my defensive player of the year trophy. And I have one other trophy to give out today as well. It might be a little premature, but I think Tyus Jones, he's going to get my sixth man of the year trophy. And we talk about why he's never really in that conversation. There's a lot of other guys in the league. Well, this guy, this guy, this guy, and then you turn around and my guy, the last 10 games, he's, you know, 50, 42, 71 splits. He's averaging 14.4 with eight assists. We know the turnover ratio is great. And the way that he was able to stabilize the Grizzlies while John Morant's been going through some of this, it's really hard to understate that because if Memphis goes on and does something special in the playoffs, we're going to look back on that time in March when that season could have gone right out the window. And, and Tyus, I think, is the single biggest reason. Now, Jaron Jackson was fabulous during that time as well. But I think Tyus Jones coming in, stepping into the starting role, and now when Josh back, he'll step back into that sixth-man role. His versatility for this team, the professionalism, and the way he really makes his teammates better is, is great. He's going to get my sixth-man of the year award, at least as it stands now, a week left in the season, guys. Yeah, I, I... It's, it's it's crazy that you said that. Um, I'm a, I got something similar with you, Dave. Almost exact, but I'm gonna let you go, Matt, for your awards. Well, well, look, I, I Xavier, I hope you don't have a Jaron Award because that's what I got too. And like <laughs> we we hit on it um, at the beginning of this episode, and I was glad because when me and Dave talked last week, we we did a bad job not giving Jaron enough credit. Like we gave Tyus a ton of credit because he obviously steps in and plays the same possession position that John Morant, Morant, damn, I got these allergies to kill me. I can't even talk. Right. <laughs> Listen, Tyus comes in and, and, and takes over for the same position as Josh. So it's easy to give Tyus all that credit, but without Jaron, like this team was not going to win as many games or at least not as convincingly as they did over that time period when they didn't have Ja. And that's why I'm giving him the Dennis Green Award for being exactly who we thought they were. That's Jaron. We've all known that this is in him. Like Xavier said at the beginning of the episode, that's what they drafted him to be, is to be the number one offensive option. Let's build around this guy who's a seven-foot unicorn who can shoot the three, who can take people off the dribble, who can finish with both hands. And we got to see about a week of it, and he was really, really awesome during that time. And he really kept this team afloat. He was a huge leader for them, and he kept the team. You know, he was really the factor. They've just now taken back this second seed, 
with some help of the Kings playing some bad basketball as well. But like without Jaron, I, I don't know that they necessarily completely grab hold of the second seed and, and, and have that position going into the playoffs. So like he deserves a ton of credit, man. And the thing is, like, we always knew that he could do this. He can be this level of offensive player, and he gets overshadowed by some other great offensive players. But I think eventually they're going to have to find out a way to blend all three of their best players together and, and have them all be – John Barant's always going to be your number one, and he's going to be number one no matter what. But, like, Bain and Jaron can be 2A and 2B in some way, and, like, everybody has room to score. There's enough room for all of them to contribute all the offensive end, and I'm glad we got to see Jaron thrive in his role as the number one for a couple weeks. Yeah, I, I'm like I said, I got something similar to you guys. Of course, I'm giving the Depot Award straight to Jaren. I made a video, yes, I mean, last week talking about explaining the stats. I understand Brooke Lopez is having a pretty good year. I understand that uh, Milwaukee is the number one team in the league. But what Jaren is doing is like something that we have never seen before. Like you were saying, Dave, he has those blocks that you just get up. But as well, I want to put this. I feel like Jaron Jackson should deserve be deserve at least a third team All NBA this year. Ooh, ooh. I really feel like that because again, I remember saying this in one of our early podcasts. I really felt like Jaron was going to make an impact on this team immediately when he comes back. He has made this team. The Grizzlies were once a twenty eighth team defensively, and now they're a top five defensive team. Like we said, the stretch that he did without John Morant of him being able to score, I mean, he's been he's capable of being a scorer. He's capable of being a, a great defender. I really feel like you you don't see so many players in the league like that unless you name like guys like Giannis, Bam Adebayo, and Bam Adebayo isn't even scoring on Jaron Jackson level. Uh, I know his stats aren't just eye popping. But at the same time, his impact on his team is very, very detrimental. And a lot of people just don't understand. He was an all-star for a reason. He wasn't just putting in there because Memphis was the second-best team in the West. It's because he earned it. I feel like he earned being a, at least an all-NBA selection on the third team this year. Yeah, and, and it's a context, right? So if you want to just judge a basketball player by basketballreference.com, that's not getting the full picture of someone's impact in a team game like this. And Jaron's impact to the Grizzlies, especially on the defensive end, has been fantastic. It's a little, a little bit, guys, like Luke Kennard's impact is not just the number of three-pointers that he makes. It's that he opens the floor up. And now Brooks is getting better looks at the basket. And Tyus is getting better looks at the basket, right? And these guys are getting a little bit more open threes now. It, it's, a, it's like a real symbiotic type of environment with basketball. And, and Jaron's that way on defense. You know, if, if we were playing with him, knowing that he's behind us and, and protecting the rim is, is really, really valuable. So I'm, I'm glad we're giving him really the shine that he deserves on this episode because it's, it's been fantastic to watch. Yeah, and it's just – I'm so excited that everything is just finally coming together because, like everybody's been saying, it really did look bleak. It really did look bleak last month and earlier this this month. But it's crazy now that we're back to second-best team in the West. We're on a six-game winning streak, and, you know, things are high heading towards the playoffs. And um, I really feel like if we still – the sky's the, the limit for this team. Like, we really do can't make a finals run. The West is wide open. A lot of people feel like, especially Shannon Sharp and them other guys, 
they think if, if we were to win, it it don't it wouldn't mean anything. But no, like we're not going to take this season away. We went through injuries, we battled through adversity, a lot of conflicts, and other guys. Taylor Jenkins is deserving of Coach of the Year. Jaron Jackson is most definitely deserving of Depoy. And I, like I said, I really feel like he should be an All NBA selection this year as well. One final note for me, guys, on Jaron. It might look like a fantastic contract in about a year or so. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the amount of money. What, did they sign him? What was it? It was like four years, a hundred million, something like that. Uh, and that's a pretty good value. I know he's making. It says here, you know, twenty eight point nine this year. And he, you know, he's obviously going to be very handsomely compensated over the next three, four years till he gets his next contract. But given the impact on this team and his youth and his productivity, could be one of the better contracts in this league in short order. Oh, yeah, most definitely, because, I mean, it's not even, you know, the Supermax. Because, you know, it, it was just questionable if he can maintain staying healthy. And although, you know, health is sort of still a problem with him, but it's just his production on the court is very needed for the Grizzlies. And since he came back from his injury to start the year, like, he's been pretty healthy. Like, he's been super durable coming back. Like, most of his games that he's missed since then was just, like, getting reacclimated after that injury. So, like – Hopefully, we've seen the last of Jaron's injury problems. Yeah. Okay, everybody, that wraps up today's episode of the Core 4 Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast. And as well, be sure to follow Bluff City Media on all those social platforms. All right, Dave, go ahead and tune the people in for your social media. Just Twitter at DOB19338. And uh, great being with you guys after an exciting week of Grizzlies basketball. Okay, Matt, where can the people find you on social media, man? Yeah, I'm at Matt H. Gill on Twitter. Check me out there. And, Xavier, you're about to plug your stuff, man. I just want to give you a shout-out. You've been crushing it with the clips, man. Everybody yep. check out Xavier's stuff. Tell them where to find it, brother. Yeah, you can go ahead and find me on Twitter at Zaytime Takes. And then, as well, you can find me on Instagram at Zaytime Takes. And then, uh, TikTok, you can find me at underscore XZAY with a little bit more basketball analysis. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.